so we're looking at Romans 8, and for full disclosure, I preached a section of this here at Glenkirk at the end of June. So you might hear a few of the same things, but hey, scripture is what scripture is. You know, I'd far be it for me to change it. Um, but it is such a powerful passage. And I have to say, Kate, Kate, you did last week? Oh, okay. Who did last week? Oh my goodness. I was, okay. I was praying for you, but I, you know, I'm still glad I was praying for you, but I'm thinking, Oh, I, I am so glad I do not have to do chapter seven. It's kind of a, like, it, it's the me, myself, and I chapter me, 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 me. And, um, I, my name, I have two granddaughters and, and so I'm Grammy. And so this last week I was a little Natalie joy and I kept saying me, 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 me. And she's a me, 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 you know, me, it's me. This is chapter seven. The apostle Paul's talking about, you know, in the flesh, the, the, the me, myself and I, and, and how no matter what we do, we cannot succeed. I mean, we can succeed in the world's eyes, but we, we can never have the peace of God. Um, in, and, and so he, he goes through and I, you know, it's, I, I think in, in, um, gosh, how many times I, I had it written down here, but there's personal pronouns 47 times, uh, in, in, in chapter seven. So it's me. And if that's 46 or 48, you get the point. It's a lot of me, myself and I in there. And, and it's in a sense, it's such a hopeless chapter in the one hand. But it leads into chapter eight, and it it does say here in I mean, listen to this. What a wretched man I am! What a wretched woman I am! Oh my goodness! What a wretched mother I am! Who's going to rescue me from this dying body? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. That's in chapter seven, and then it builds up because chapter seven really points to the futility of the power of the flesh. And yet we live in a world of the flesh. Then it talks about the hope we have about life in the spirit. Amen. Amen. There's a story that a British newspaper sent out. They sent out an inquiry to famous authors asking the question, what's wrong with the world? Does anybody ask that question? I ask it about three times a day when somebody's cutting me off in traffic. What is wrong with this world? Who taught you to drive? Well, G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton responded by saying, dear sir, I am. I am what's wrong with the world. Yours, G.K. Chesterton. And that's really what chapter seven is talking about. We are what is wrong. <laughs> and in the flesh, there is no hope except for that one little verse that says in Christ Jesus, our Lord, he gives a little, and this is a passage, you know, that says, I do what I don't want to do. And the things I should be doing, I don't do it. And I'm trying, and here's something about the apostle Paul who writes this. I'm guessing the apostle Paul was one of those people that crossed every T and dotted every I. He says in Philippians, I mean, as for the law, nobody kept it better than me. I mean, as a Pharisee of the Pharisee, trained up in this stuff, nobody could beat me when it came to doing the right thing. And yet you see in chapter 7 that the Apostle Paul, and I, and I think in a way, and I'm reading into this, but it had to have been a huge struggle for the Apostle Paul. Because look at the terrible things he did to the church, trying to destroy the church. And he was doing it because he thought they were blaspheming against the one true God. 
And then to be in that place to realize what he had done. And so we come to this powerful, powerful chapter. And it's really bookend because it starts with no condemnation. And then it ends with no separation in Christ Jesus. And that's the biggest longing of all of our soul. It really is. Wherever we're trying to find peace and whatever, it's, it really is found only here. <laughs> so chapter 8, therefore, so he's pointing back to chapter 7. Therefore, no condemnation exists for those in Christ Jesus. Now, if you look at here, I want to show this because this is important. If you read the King James, it adds something. It says this, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That should be explanation point, period, smiley face emoji. I mean, happy, happy, period. But here it says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now you notice in the English Standard Version, and if you have a, a new international version, or it just has the first part. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Boom. End. What, what, what's going on here? Well, the King James in this uh, section uses older manuscripts, whereas the um, English Standard Version or the New International Version, they use older manuscripts, manuscripts that were closer to the time of Paul actually writing this. And they didn't have computers with spell check. They didn't have Microsoft Word. Oh, my goodness, let me just cut and paste and put this over here. So a scribe would be taking, I think, some pretty tough words and stuff and writing it out. So the thought is that that part that is added in King James is a scribe taking a section of verse 4 and writing it in the margin. Because in verse 4, it says, mm -hmm, let me find verse 4. This is getting a little small for me at my age. In order that life's requirement be accomplished, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So most likely what happened is a scribe kind of added something later on, added something that was in the margin. But the better translation, the one is closer to the uh, more reliable manuscripts, is this one that doesn't add anything else. And this is why it's important. I'm not just talking here for the sake of talking. It's because, think about it. Look at this great news. After chapter 7, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I should be doing, I don't do. What a wretched person am I? Okay, then you get to this. Wow, there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? But if it's added, who walk after the flesh, but after the spirit, then I think, well, you know, yesterday, I was 100% perfect. But today, I was doing some bad thinking about those people. Do, do you see there's... There's this idea, if you add this second part, then we're realizing there is no condemnation in Christ, but wait, I didn't really walk according to the spirit like I should have today. So then am I condemned? See, that the better translation ends, and that is so important. Trust me, I've been a chaplain. I have met with people who are hours away from meeting their maker, and that uncertainty 
if they are in Christ or not. You see, if they are in Christ, if they by faith have come into relationship through the blood of Jesus Christ, it ends with, there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Explanation point. Amen. This is so important because at the end of the day, when you think back of it, oh man, I blew it. Yes, you did. Because this does not say now there is no, there are no failures. <laughs> now there's no sin. No, we still sin. But, and there's consequences to our sin too. But there's no condemnation. See, this is key. Do you, does that make sense to you? I'm not sure. I make sense to myself, but you know, hey, I, I'm probably going to leave my phone here too. So, uh, this is so key that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus Christ, which if you were to go the opposite, then there is condemnation apart from Jesus Christ. And we'll look at what the passage that is so hopeful says. Um, so I'm going to read it. And this is in the ESV. I usually actually read the New International Version, but I like this. I got it at a Beth Moore conference years ago, and I God bless you. I really like it. So the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, there is no condemnation that now exists for those in Christ Jesus because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You know, um, what is it, the Emancipation Proclamation that Lincoln did uh, freeing the slaves? This is really the Christians' Emancipation Proclamation. It is saying, by the blood of Jesus Christ, signed by his blood, there is no condemnation. And and, and the rest of it backs it up. Because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. We are free. This is the Emancipation Proclamation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. I I mean, I'm an amen. Is that an amen or should we fall asleep? Amen. I'm excited. God, let's see, what the law could not do since it was limited by the flesh, God did. So think about the law. The law is not bad. We have the law of Moses, the, the Ten Commandments. What the law, the law is not bad. What the law does is it points to the fact we cannot keep it. It's like a mirror. You stand before a mirror and you see this blood-sucking hairy, ugly, venomous spider on the side of your face, just attached. You, ah! Well, the mirror can't take it away. See, the mirror points to the fact that you have that. That's what the law does. It points to the fact that there is sin in our life, this venomous darkness that draws us in the flesh. But thanks be to God, through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the law only points to our inability to keep it. And if anybody could keep the law, it was the Apostle Paul, better man than me. But Paul realizes, great as he was, at crossing his T's and dotting his I's. In the sight of God, he was condemned, apart from Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, he condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in flesh like ours. So Jesus literally in the flesh felt the pain, the struggle, was tempted in every way, the scripture says. He was under sin's domain. 
and as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be accomplished, somebody had to pay the price for this sin. You know, if, if, if um, you're driving and you're hit, in, you know, your car is hit. I heard somebody kind of tell this differently than me, but they're hit and your, your child is killed. They have run a red light. What do you want? Justice. That's what it's saying, that the law demands justice. A righteous God demands justice. We couldn't do it, so Christ did. Walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who, and that's that passage that would have described, probably added to verse one for the manuscript that King James used. Verse five, but those who live according to the flesh think about the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit about the things of the spirit. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Okay, choose which one you want. Death, life, or peace. Death, life, or peace. I mean, really, is it even a contest? Living by the flesh leads to death. Living by the Holy Spirit leads to life. For the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God. So we think about this world. My my dad used to say it's going to hell in a handbasket. H-E double toothpicks. Excuse me. It's going to H-E double toothpicks in a handbasket. But for the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God. So when we think about the thought and the the world, the, the hostility towards the truth of God. See, this is no shock. Should not be a shock to us. Do not be surprised. Because it does not submit itself to God's law, for it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, and he's, he's speaking to believers here. He's speaking to people who have had the emancipation proclamation written in the blood of Jesus Christ over their life. He's, that's who he's, he's, he's writing to. Since the spirit of, okay, you, however, are not of the flesh but of this are are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, since the spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, I just want to say this. People say, well, who has the Holy Spirit? And some traditions would say, well, if you speak in tongues, then you have the Holy Spirit. And until you speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Well, I believe in speaking in tongues. I, I, you know, eagerly uh, desire these gifts. Tongues is in the scripture, but it's not a sign of salvation. It's not at all. And so it's talking about here, who has the spirit of God? People speak in tongues, people who go to holy roller churches. Well, I hope it's people who by faith have come into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we aren't in relationship with the living God, then we aren't, we don't have a Holy Spirit. And if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we are not in Christ. That, that's what it says right here. Who has it? If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the power of the Holy Spirit. You no longer have to live according to the flesh. We still do, though. And it's, you know, we're on this side of eternity in process. But if and and we don't have time for this, but we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, we can put the Holy Spirit down on our, you know, right baby toe and ignore it. But when we live in the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, we have victory through Jesus Christ over sin. Amen? 
since the spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit that lives in you. This is a promise of eternal salvation with the living God. That the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us and will raise us on that final day and also give us power to live for Christ today. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. I don't have to live according to the flesh. Lord knows I choose to oftentimes, but I don't have to. For if you live according to the flesh, flesh, you are going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in his holy sight. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that chapter seven is not the end, but it points to just who we are as your children. We thank you for proclaiming that we are emancipated from sin, Satan, and death by your holy power. We thank you, God, that it's not about us always doing right and a ledger at the end of the day that we did more right than we did wrong, but rather it's living by faith, empowered by your Holy Spirit. So God, in these few moments we have left, we pray that you would lead us and guide us through your blood. Amen and amen. Okay, I got a whole bunch of notes here that I also already said. So we're skipping, we're skipping, we're skipping. Okay, flesh versus the spirit. Walk according to the spirit, flesh. Okay, so flesh versus the spirit. Let's see the next slide. Um, you know, who wins? Who wins? And last week, uh, two weeks ago, I spoke and talked about the one you feed. You know, the two-headed snake. And I told you a story about Zeus. I'm not going to repeat it now. But it's the one you feed. Uh, and there's a, a story about a, um, a Native American who became a Christian, and he's talking to his son. And, you know, he's talking about this, this flesh versus the spirit. And he explains it this way to his son. It's like, I've got two wild dogs living in me. One is small and one is big, and they're just going at each other. And the little boy said to his father, well, which one wins? And the father said, the one that I feed, the one that I feed. So how do we feed? What does it say? Feed a cold, starve a fever, or starve of cold. I can never remember, so it didn't even work for me. But, you know, the one that we feed. So let's go to the next one. I don't know if you've heard this story about the cuckoo bird. This is a true, this is absolutely true. Do you know, um, uh, cuckoo birds are actually parasites, Yeah, they're parasites. You know, when you see it, say, you parasite you. I wouldn't even recognize one. But here's the interesting thing about the cuckoo bird is that they do not build their own nest. But the mother cuckoo bird will find a nest where some mother bird uh, will lays eggs. And when the mother bird is out getting a worm or doing whatever mother birds do, the cuckoo bird will put one of her eggs in that nest and fly away. Not a good mom. So maybe a working mom, but not a good working mom. I just and so then when they hatch and everything, uh, you know, I, I don't know. And um, the Jill Bristow tells a story of um, of actually that they do it in with thrushes. 
near near the Mississippi. I, I don't know. I'm not from there, but she tells the story that way. And she talks about the fact that the cuckoo bird will put one of its eggs in the, the nest where there are eggs of the thrush. And then, you know, they hatch and then the mama bird comes back and I'm thinking, what mama do you don't recognize your baby? But I guess not. The thing about a cuckoo bird is it's bigger than the thrush. And so the mama brings its big old fat worm. And who do you think gets it? That big old fat parasite cuckoo bird. That's right. Grows bigger. And she would say they would find along the Mississippi, they would find baby thrushes dead. I know, sad. I'm sorry. Let's all have a moment. I don't even know what a thrush looks like, but I feel bad for it. But the point is what survives. The one that you feed. The one that you feed. And that's what the apostle is talking about, that we have this battle between the flesh and the spirit. And even though we are followers of Jesus Christ, we have the proclamation that we are free in Christ. We have our sin nature. And again, when it says there's no condemnation, it doesn't say we no longer sin. It doesn't say there are not consequences. We still sin. There's still consequences. But what we're being told here is that we have this absolute power. Let's take that common cuckoo bird off there because I don't even like cuckoo birds anymore when I heard that story. Um, But that, that point there is what we feed what we feed. So how do we feed the spirit? We have to choose. Um, So what we see here is that Paul is saying, live according, we will live according to what we set our minds upon. If we set our minds upon the world, and let me give you, I'm going to confess here this, um, and here's an illustration. I was, I think it was in Pennsylvania last month, and you know, I, I had finished all my work. I was with Eco. And so I, I turned on this network, uh, Netflix show. And I like murder mysteries and everything. I'm not even going to tell you what show it was, but I watched it. It was really good, but I'll tell you, it was really dark. I didn't like it. It had a bunch of, I, anyway, came home and I told my husband, you know, I don't know about this show, but let's watch it and see what you think. Well, my husband's like, this is awful. This is dark. But I'm like, yeah, that's got a really good storyline. Okay. Here's the thing. I mean, I shouldn't, you know, we, uh, by the way, we're not watching it anymore. And it, it wasn't like a, seriously, I mean, it wasn't even a PG, but it, it hasn't, I guess it was probably a PG. Probably in my day when I was a child, this would be considered an X, but nowadays. But my point is, you know, just I'd watch that on Netflix just, and it it did stay in my mind. And then when my husband and I watched it, he goes, dude, this is really dark. I don't think we should watch it anymore. So I'm just confessing to you. I mean, you know, in case you thought I never struggled or anything. And I was like, really? Because I love it. I want to know what happens. So I actually read ahead on Google how it finished. I didn't, but without seeing it. But see, there's so many things that we can feed our mind with and garbage in, garbage out, right? What we put in is what comes out. When we live by the spirit, when we submit ourselves to the spirit, we will not work, walk in perfection by any means. But there's that nudging. There is that nudging. Um, the Apostle Paul uh, says in the scripture, and in the Holy Spirit here, again, in, in verse 7, we just saw so many me's and I's and myself. In, in this chapter 8, there's at least 39 times the Spirit 
not just spirit, but the capital S spirit is used, the Holy Spirit. Um, so what it really talks about is that we set our minds, uh, and, and the word here the Apostle Paul uses is to think, to give careful consideration to something, to set one's mind upon, to be intent, uh, with added connotation, to say, take someone's side, espouse someone else's cause. So when I set my mind on the things of the Lord, I may not be fully convinced that that's, but it begins to convince me that this is the best way. How we live our lives depends upon what we set our minds upon. It, it, it starts in the mind. That first thought, we have the most power over sin when it's first a thought. Um, in Philippians 3.19, I mean, Paul talks about the world and he says their end is destruction. Their God is the belly and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things compared to setting our minds on the things of God. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, worthy, think about these things. So for example, with that movie, um, what is that? Pure, well, you know, compared to what a lot of things, mm, see, you could justify whatever is lovely. No, not really admirable either. Great plot line. You see, when we run it through the filter of God's word, when we run our behavior through the filter of God's holy word, set your minds on things above. I mean, we, that's what it says in Colossians um, three, two and three. Not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So we have this work of the Holy Spirit, but we also have the fact that we choose what we put our mind to. So let me give you an example. You know, probably none of you worry here. Is there anybody here who ever has a moment of worry? Just raise your hand high, shake them. Okay, two hands. Boom. Okay, yeah. Worry. And what does the scripture say? Do not be anxious for anything. I, we know that. So let's say you wake up in the middle of the night, or let, let's use this example. In, in the morning, you wake up and you start to think about, oh my goodness, all that's wrong and all the struggles you have and the circumstances and all that's going on in the world. And, you know, quite frankly, there's some really horrendous things going on. I mean, there's plenty to worry about if we did not have a good and wonderful God. Let me encourage. So, what we feed our minds with. So if I begin to feed my mind with this, oh my goodness, I can't handle this. Oh my goodness, this is too much. Oh my goodness, I'll look at this. I'll look what happened here. Look at this earth. I'll look at all this. I love the fact that we are surrounded by the San Gabriel Mountains. Years ago when I was going through a hard situation, somebody encouraged me to memorize the chapter. I lift up my eyes unto the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the God who is the maker of the heavens and the earth. And, you know, God has given you and I living where we live. I mean, every time I drive, um, I live in San Dimas, so I come north. And I, I, I say it every time I come into church. Uh, you know, and I walk in the morning. I walk with my friend and said, stop, we're going to say that Psalm 121. Because we can choose, oh my goodness, life, I, I, this is so hard. Or I lift it up. 
I lift up my eyes, not to the circumstances, but to the God who has the power to work everything out for good. See, it's what we feed our mind upon. And when I wake up in the middle of the night, I don't do that very often, but it seems to be happening more and more. But scripture, I'm, I love that we have Awanas at this church. I, my husband works with the first graders. Oh my goodness, they love to memorize that scripture. There's 19 or 20 of them on a good Wednesday. And he says they just, they love memorizing the word. See, when, when we put that in, when we deposit the truth, and then the lies of the world come at us, we are able to withdraw the truth and immerse our minds in it. It never says everything's going to go your way. Oh, yes, you love Jesus, and you're going to win the lottery. Oh, yes, you love Jesus, and your kids are always going to do well. No. So many people I know and love and who know and love and faithfully serve Jesus are going through really, really hard times and tough diagnoses. And But, the, but when we feed our mind on the fact that God is bigger than everything. So Psalm 121, I encourage you to memorize that, especially verses one and two, and say it because we're surrounding, you know, you can't get away from these mountains and praise God for that. But it's a reminder that God is all powerful, setting our mind. God's word is a lamp unto our feet. I have hidden thy word in my heart so that I do not sin against thee. See, so when I was watching that Netflix, I know you're all dying to know what it is. I don't remember the name of it, okay? You know what? It flickered on my mind that this probably was not the best use of my time that this was not the best use of where my mind should go. Yeah, I, I had it. No, I, I did ignore it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I have confessed it, by the way. But, you know, again, my husband then, who also has the scripture memorized, who also has Philippians 4, uh, 8 memorized, is the one that said, I don't think this is where, you know, we should be focusing our hearts and minds. And he was correct. When we put the word in, so let's just say this. Let's take another example. You are going through a hard time and you look at people who have more than you. And you're glad. You know, you're glad. You're glad they have such a great life. And then you start thinking, it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair that they have it so easy and I have it so hard. It doesn't seem fair that they... So that's called envy. And envy, Hebrews talks about, leads to bitterness. Well, how can we live by the Spirit? By gratitude. You fight it by living by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that I'm going through what I'm going through, but it is not too big for you. I want to give you thanks for that person who is just having a much better experience, at least to my eyes. You see, we fight it. I don't want to go to a place where I'm envy and jealous of it. I don't want to go there. I don't want to be bitter. You know, we battle, we wage war, not with the weapons of this world. Look at Ephesians 6, not with the weapons of this world, but with the word of God through prayer. I want to encourage you to memorize scripture, to have it so that you can pull it out. And you know what? If you are not good at memory, have those little cards. Some of you, I know you've got like a ring 
and you got a whole bunch of index cards. Raise your hand. I know some of you ladies, I've seen them. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be calling you out, but I love that. I was somewhere where somebody had them. I'm like, I want to start doing that because then you flip to it. You know, you flip to a scripture. You know, if God before me, who or what can be against me? When I'm feeling the weight of the world on me, if God is for me, no weapon formed against a child of God can stand. See? So I I take my mind and I put it under the authority of the truth, which is the living God revealed in these 66 books of the Bible. Take captive, it says in Corinthians, I think it's second, first Corinthians 5.10 or 10.5. It's it's in there. I haven't memorized that one, so I need to work on that. Take every thought captive. Make it submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, So I want to show you this uh, slide. I love this because oftentimes we try and do it all on our own. Okay, I love this. I don't know what how I preached before memes. I don't even understand how I possibly could preach before memes. When God gives you the tools, but you're still trying to do it your way. Do you see that he's holding the wheelbarrow and he's carrying the dirt? But isn't that us? I could try, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to, I'm going to be better. You know, God has given us the power of his Holy Spirit to submit, to choose. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take authority. Max Lucado wrote this. How do I live in God's presence? How do I detect his unseen hand on my shoulder and his inaudible voice in my ear? How can you and I grow familiar with the voice of God? Here are a few ideas. Give God your waking thoughts. Before you face the day, face the Father. Before you step out of bed, step into his presence. Give God your waiting thoughts. Spend time with him in silence. Give God your whispering thoughts. Imagine considering every moment as a potential time communion with God. Give God your waning thoughts at the end of the day. Let your mind settle on him. Conclude the day as you begin it talking with God. But amen. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. But you know, we wake up in the morning and I, I'm just, again, full confession here. I don't want to read my scripture. I want to want, look at the news. I really do. I, I love to go to my news. I have several of them on my phone and I can get lost in that. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, I got to start working. And oh my goodness, I'm so depressed because everything I read about Harry and Megan is just overwhelming me, you know? I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. But But you see, my natural flesh goes to doing something like reading the news. But when we begin immersed in the word of God, dying to ourself, less of me, Lord, and more of you, when we begin that, I love that you guys are good. I know. I don't know what I did without memes. I'm just telling you. I got this from somebody else. Um, oh, I'm, I have this, by the way. You're looking, I have this for you. There's gonna, you. You can take this. I actually used this in June. So here's a way to the examine. I believe very much in this. It's, it, there's nothing super spiritual. I mean, in and it of itself, other than coming before God and laying your heart before God. So this is one possibility. It's a prayer. You don't have to use this one. But what I did is I put the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love. Actually, I might have gotten this. I don't know. I've had it forever. But you go through. So love. Lord, did I love others as you have loved me today? 
saying, oh, I've done, I've done great, man. I won that argument. Wow. That was good. I cut, I cut them off before they, Lord, did I love others as you have loved me? Ah, questionable there. Uh, goodness. Was I generous today? Oh no, Lord, this life's so expensive. Life's so, I have so much to do. I don't have time to reach out to see. And it's not a condemnation because remember, so you might go through this at the end of the day and it's like, oh my goodness, I totally live by the flesh today. Okay. Thank you, Lord, that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you. Thank you for that emancipation proclamation. Thank you that I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you that when you look at me, you don't see that you see the righteous robes of Jesus. But Lord, I want to submit these things to you. I want to confess. I want to confess my impatience. I want to confess how quickly I was to judge, how quickly I was to compare. How... And God, I want to start over clean. I want to be your vessel. I just, I encourage you with that. It's a helpful tool that I use. And it can, you can look online. There's a ton of this kind of stuff. That, but I find it very helpful because I'm a doer. I get a lot. It's just, it's just the way I was made. I make lists. I but stopping in silence, stopping and allowing God's word to speak to the places that maybe I'm not looking at. And God is so tender. You know, we don't have to fear that he's going to slap us down. Or, he says, I love you. You are my child. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I, I know that full well. I crown your head. It says in, in Psalm 103, I, I crown your head because you're, you're a child, you're a princess with love and compassion. See, this is how he meets us. I encourage you with that. This is just one tool. I'm going to close with a story that I did use in June. Uh, and so you may have heard this, but I've, I, I just think it's probably the, I don't know, I think it, it sums this up and helps. And it's a true story. Um, and it's written by Tom Schmidt in a book called The Life You've Always... Oh, John Ortberg quoted him in the book, The Life You've Always Wanted, but it's Tom Schmidt. He talks about volunteering at the state-run convalescent hospital. And he said it was anything but a pleasant place. He said on one particular day, he was walking down a hallway that he had not visited before. And as he neared the end of the hallway, he saw an old woman strapped to a wheelchair. Her face was an absolute horror. The empty stare and white pupils of her eyes told him that she was blind. The large hearing aid over one ear told him that she was almost deaf. On one side of her face, it was being eaten by cancer. There was a discolored and running sore covering part of one cheek, and it had pushed her nose to one side, dropped one eye, and distorted her jaw. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. I also learned later that this woman was 89 years old and that she had been there bedridden, blind, nearly deaf and alone for 25 years. Her name was Mabel. He said, Mabel and I became friends over the next few weeks. He said he first started meeting with her and felt how much he could add to her life. And then he realized how much. She was adding to his life that he even began to write down what she said because it was so deeply profound about the lover and the redeemer of her soul. 
He said during one hectic week of final exams, he was frustrated because his mind seemed to be pulled in 10 different directions at once with all the things that he had to think about. And then he said to himself, wonder what Mabel thinks about. What does Mabel think about day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night? So I went to her and asked, Mabel, what do you think about when you're lying in bed or you're, you're sitting in the wheelchair? And she said without hesitation, I think about my Jesus. I think about how good he's been to me. Boy, he's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks wouldn't care very much for what I think. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And she began to sing a little song about Jesus. Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me go. So when I am sad, he makes me glad. He is my friend. And this is not fiction. The man who wrote this said, incredible as it may seem, a human being really lived like this. And he said, I know because I knew her. How could she do it? Seconds ticked and minutes crawled, and so did days and weeks and months and years of pain without human company and without an explanation of why it was all happening. And she lay there and sang hymns. How could she do it? And he said, the answer, I think, is that Mabel had something that you and I oftentimes don't have much of. She had power. Lying there in the bed, unable to move, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to talk, she had incredible power. She had Holy Spirit overflowing power. That's what we're promised. No condemnation. And as we live in this world, the power to live as followers of Jesus Christ, allowing his Holy Spirit to permeate us, to remind us that we are loved, that we are called, that we are his. And may we have the word of God so just immerse our souls so much in it that it's the first thing we think of in the morning and the last thing we think of. And all the decisions throughout the day start with, what would Jesus want me to do? How do I walk in his steps today? But we don't do it alone without power. Paul tried it. Didn't work. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Would you bow in a word of prayer? God, we thank you that this letter to the Romans was written to us that we can see ourselves in chapter 7. And Lord, we rejoice at the truth of chapter 8. God, I pray as redeemed women, as people with a lot of challenges every day, a lot of fears, a lot of unknowns, oh God, that we would bow before you 
bearing our hearts and our minds in your word, filling it to overflowing, fighting every doubt and every temptation as Jesus did in the desert with your truth. And God, I thank you that you offer us this. I thank you that um, it's as true for us today as it was to those Paul was writing to. And I pray for each one of us to be strengthened and encouraged and that we would be like Mabel, that no matter what we go through, we would think about Jesus, how good you've been to us. Thank you, blessed Lord. Amen.